All right, so we're in, we're in a series at the movies, and why do we do a series like this? I just have to tell you every week, the reason we do a series like this is because Jesus taught using parables. Parables are short stories that connect with our everyday life, and so often we can learn from stories by finding ourselves in the story, by understanding who God is. That's what Jesus used these stories for. Uh, many times we think Jesus' stories were made up. He, he just created a story to help them understand something. At other times, um, we think maybe he was using a true story, uh, something that actually happened that he wanted them to understand at a deeper level. And so we've been using movies, um, some of which are true stories. Uh, last week, Johnny Cash walked the line, true story. It was heavy last week. And I keep telling you every week it's going to be lighter this week. And I don't know if this week is. I think it is. Um, but this one, this week, is also based on a true story. Now, a lot of liberty given in the story itself. Um, but I, I don't think a ton of us have seen this. Oh, anyway, so the reason we do the parables, the stories, before I forget, is because God doesn't just want us to know more. And this is a side sermon. Most of us, our, our knowledge is far beyond our obedience. I should have put that up on the screen. Most of us, our, our knowledge is far beyond our obedience. God wants your heart. And sometimes it takes a story to get to your heart, for you to understand who he is as a father. And sometimes it takes a story to understand who we are and the challenges we have in seeing how faith and life come together. So that's why we, we, we take the, the stories and uh, the movies, modern-day parables, and we bring them into the messages. Good? Okay, so the, the movie this week. Uh, the movie this week we're going to be talking about is Instant Family. And uh, many of you probably have instant darkness. <laughs> many of you probably have not seen this. How many of you have seen Instant Family? Yeah, not a lot. Um, it, it was one of those movies I didn't really know a lot about. It was kind of on the side. I like Marky Mark Wahlberg. I remember him back when it was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, uh, if you remember Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And um, uh, this, this movie is based, like I said, it's, it's based on a true story. And where I want us to take this, what I want us to think about is these themes, needs in the world, so as we watch these clips, as we talk about them, I, I want us to think about what are the needs, the, the significant needs in our world? Um, what, what is love, like true love, not just romantic, emotional love, but what is love and what does love move us toward? And then how do we use our gifts and our abilities, our giftings? You've been given gifts by God, you have abilities, many of you have so many abilities that others of us wish we had, but you have some abilities, and the truth is, God wants you to use those gifts and abilities to meet some of the bigger needs in this world. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive us in, in that direction. Now, I've been starting with a, a proverb each week, 
just to get us going, our, our minds. The Proverbs are some, some little statements of wisdom, and this is what we find in Proverbs. The generous will prosper. Now, when we say generous, I don't want us just to think about finances. So often we're thinking about generosity in terms of finances, but I just want you to think in terms of your life, your gifts, your abilities. Your finances can be included in that, but broader than just finances. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So the wisdom here is that oftentimes what we do for others will come back to us and, and many times multiplied over and over. Uh, the message is a paraphrase of the scripture. Eugene Peterson, who is a pastor, trying to help his congregation understand it. Um, this is how he puts it in the Proverbs. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So it's a different way to think about it. Same concept. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are themselves helped. Don't you like this little paraphrase of that? To help us get our minds around it. So um, one last thing, and we'll jump into the clips. And I, I, Do you know Viktor Frankl? Have you heard that name? Viktor Frankl, who was um, uh, in, in a concentration camp in... Nazi Germany, uh, a thinker, theologian in many ways, and he writes this, that happiness, which is the pursuit of so many of, of us in, in, in the human lives that we live, we are pursuing happiness. If, if you were honest and I was honest today and, and I asked you the question, how many of you really just want to find happiness, like true happiness most of us would say, yeah, I want to I pursue that. We, I want to be happy. I want my kids to be happy. I want my grandkids to be happy. He says happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue and only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Now, that's a long statement. But what he's suggesting here is that when you pursue happiness, it's difficult to find it or attain it. But rather, when you give your life to something significant, something bigger than yourself, happiness is often a byproduct that you just begin to experience or uh, of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Does that make sense? It's, it's a fascinating thought. And it kind of goes against our, our American, um, some of our mindset of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you might read that and go, wait a minute, pursuit of happiness, that's ingrained in us. And it is. Victor is simply su suggesting that you can't really obtain it if that's the only thing you're after, that it comes as a byproduct of other things um, that we can, can pursue. So uh, in, in, the, in the movie, and, and I just, I'm going to tell you, um, we had to do some surgery on this movie because there is some language in this movie that we did not feel was the most appropriate. And so I'm just giving you that. There, there are some places where we had to cut and um, work some magic. Thank you, Stephen, for the magic you worked. And in this first scene, you have a couple, uh, Rose Burns and um, Marky Mark, and the funky, just Marky Mark, not the rest of them, um, Mark Wahlberg, they're married and they're pursuing happiness basically in life. And again, this is based on a true story. 
And, and uh, Mark Wahlberg makes a, a joke about wanting to adopt a kid, and that turns into more than just a joke. And so the first scene is when uh, he finds her digging in a little bit more to what he said. So here's the first scene. Hi everyone, Cameron and Lindsay here with another week of At The Movies. Again, we're sorry that we can't show you these clips online. Uh, they're watching them in the room due to copyright issues. Uh, you can't watch them with us online, but we'll try to describe the scene. This week, we're talking about a movie called Instant Family, starring Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne. It's a great movie. Hope you get a chance to watch it. Really funny. Yes. What's happening in this first scene? So in this first scene, we meet our characters, our main characters. Mark Wahlberg plays a man named Pete, and he's going home to his wife, whose name is Ellie. He walks in the front door, greets his sweet dog, then finds his wife, Ellie, camped out, kind of emotional, at a computer. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and you quickly find out they've previously had a conversation about the potential to adopt. They're just a couple, they're a successful couple, they own yeah. their own business, but they don't have any kids and they just feel like something's missing. Yeah. And so... And Ellie's emotional, she's starting yes. to cry, she's impacted, and Mark says, no, I don't want to see those little faces. Yeah, she's yeah. like, turns to, she's like, look, they're having a, yeah. like an open house for these kids, and he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Sometimes it's so hard to see the things that we know are going to break our heart, you yeah. know, and that, in that moment, you saw that he's like, ah, I can't handle that emotion, it's, it's, it's work, I, I just finished work day, like, why would I want to see that, yeah. and so, yeah. So she's emotional, and she walks off. Right? right? She goes to bed, fine, I'm going to bed. And he's like, let's just watch TV and stuff. And then he sneaks back and he opens the computer yeah. and he starts to look at the faces too. Yeah, and it's just, I was telling Cameron, it just, it's so obvious how like God moves our hearts mm. and breaks our hearts for things that are just, there's such an injustice. You know, he says something like, it's not fair. That's not fair. These kids who are so precious, don't have a family and all they want is a family so anyway it's interesting to see him kind of come around and Ellie walks back in yeah and she sees him and um, that starts the plot of the movie yeah. they're, um, they're they're going to foster these yes. kids and yes. see what that's like and this is interesting because uh, Sean Anders and his wife Beth he's he's the director and co-writer of the movie mm -hmm. this is based off of a true uh, life situation mm -hmm. in their lives where he made a joke mm -hmm. and then she started looking into fostering wow, kids cool. and then they ended up with three uh, foster kids and ended up, ended up adopting them as well. So that wow. was the basis for the movie. So it's kind of yeah. cool that this scene made it into the movie. And, yeah, that's um, awesome. It I love stirs your heart. seeing them like come together and finally be on the same page yeah. by the end of that clip and just know like that's their next step. So let's see what Matt has to say about this first clip. So the, the first thing, just if you're taking notes, um, write this down. Husbands, be careful what you joke about. <laughs> oh. I think one of the great challenges of our life is to see, to, to actually see the needs that are very present in the world around us. And one of the ways we've created our communities is to put ourselves in safe places. I'm just gonna be honest and transparent. 
um, is to put ourselves and our families in safer places so that we don't often see the things that are realities for other people. And I'm not saying that as um, a, a way to put guilt on us, and I'm including myself in this, but sometimes it's just really difficult to see needs around us. Sometimes we get caught up in just the communities we live in and we fail to recognize that there are some significant needs just around the corner. And I think God uses all kinds of things to capture our hearts and our minds and to try to get us to, to see and understand the, the bigger needs um, that are around us in the, in the world. And I, and I think God wants us to not only see them, but be open to how he might have given us something in order to meet that need, that he's gifted us something to meet, meet that need. Now, one of the challenges this morning because of the movie itself is that we would only think about fostering and many of us in the room would go, well, that's not for me and so therefore I'm gonna tune out the rest of the morning. Don't do that, stay with me. Because fostering is one need, but it's not the only need that's out there. There's a, there's a much broader picture here for us to, to see. And, and God built into what he wanted for his people, for people who claim to walk with him and know him, God built some ideas in there for you and for me. And a lot of times we miss this in the Old Testament. Check this out. In, um, in Leviticus, uh, agricultural society, remember uh, Old Testament Hebrew world was an agricultural society. And this is something that God put into the law for his people to, to, to do. He said, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Now, time out. I studied uh, management and business in both undergrad and grad school, and this is crazy. <laughs> like, you're, you're telling your people not to be efficient and effective in their work? Like, that goes against all business practices whatsoever. I mean, are you with me, those of you who are business leaders? And this sounds crazy. And God says, no, I want you to build this into your culture, into the way that you do things. I want you to leave some for the poor and the foreigners living among you. And he says, I am the Lord your God. Why would he end with I am the Lord your God? Because this is what God does for us. God stays near to us when we're in need, and he wants us to uh, welcome those who are on the edges when they're in need. And I think one of the reasons he, he makes it very personal, like your land, don't, don't harvest to the edges of your land, I think he wants us to see the poor and the foreigners, not just to give to them. Notice that he doesn't say, I want you to harvest every last bit and then take it to someone else. I think he wants us to be actively seeing those who are right on the edges of our properties. Does that make sense? Are you with me? He, he wants to build that into our, our way of living as his people, people who claim to walk with him and live according to his ways. So the question on the needs side is this, do we see the needs of others? Are you attuned, am I attuned to the needs um, locally, 
And then as you back out and you see globally, are we attuned to those needs? And then are we open to meeting those needs? It's interesting in the, in the clip, um, you had this uh, joke, which led to someone seeing some needs, which then led to the husband who was going to watch Fixer Upper and then all of a sudden being a little curious about what she was looking at, and it led to God, you know, moving into their lives. And I think this is, it, it can be true for us if we see and are open to the needs that are around us. So um, one thing leads to another, and as you can imagine, they decide to take a step into uh, fostering and adopting, and they choose uh, to pursue if, if you watch the movie, they choose to pursue the most difficult, the teenagers that nobody will choose, the ones who are kind of sitting out on the edge. And because they were told that they are the most difficult, um, Marky Mark uh, decided, I'm going to call him that the whole time, uh, he decided because someone told him that those were the, the most difficult, he was going to go after the most difficult. And he, so there's a teenager, but she comes with two siblings, and so now there's three of them. And going from zero to three is difficult. And it shows all the challenges of what they're going through. The movie kind of walks through all the challenges. But then there are these little breakthroughs, things that happen that kind of make uh, the connections more like a family. And here's one of those connecting points. Hey everyone, we're back to walk you through this second clip. Sorry we can't show it to you online, but we're here to walk you through it. Yes, at this point in the movie, Pete and Ellie are fostering three kids, mm -hmm. Lizzie, Lita, and Juan. Mm -hmm. They're at Lizzie's soccer game, and little Lita runs up, her doll is broken. Yes, and she gives it to Pete, Pete fixes it, and she says the sweetest, thanks daddy. Oh, and he says, I got my first daddy. <laughs> yeah, Pete is so excited, but Ellie is jealous. She's like, I haven't gotten a mommy yet. She runs after Lita, tries to elicit a response. It's so cute how you yeah. can just see that they are having yeah. a time. Pete's on a high too. He puts his arm around one and can I call you son? Is that okay? It just highlights the highs and lows of the fostering journey. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what Matt has to say about this clip. Uh, there's those, those little moments, those glimpses. Now, you didn't see all the bad parts, but um, those little glimpses of like them coming together and, you know, she called me daddy. I love that. One of, the, one of the things that I think is helpful for us to be reminded of is that we have been adopted into God's family. So the whole idea of children without a family um, is, is a mirror of us and, and God choosing to adopt us into his family. So I want to I remind us of this. Um, you have received a spirit that makes you, or you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you. Like God adopted you. How awesome is that? God chose you. And so often we forget that. And so I wanna, I'm going to just keep reminding you, God chose you. You've been adopted into God's families, your sons and daughters, your heirs of the kingdom of God. That is unbelievable. Like, a lot of people would not choose you. I mean, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, a lot of people would not choose me, but God does. He sees us, and he still chooses us, and he's adopted us as his own children, and now we call him, and this word Abba um, 
is literally like, like daddy. The concept being that, that we are to call God, not just Father God, but, but like daddy. Like he's our, he's our father, he's our dad, because we've been adopted um, into his family. In another passage of scripture, Paul is writing, and Paul says that, um, that God decided in advance to adopt us. Like there's this whole adoption theme. Um, he brings us to himself through Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to bring us into his family. And so often I feel like um, I let God down. Have you ever felt like you let God down? Like, okay, I get that God chose me, but then God's disappointed in me. Have you ever felt like God was disappointed in you? But this reminds us that God chose us in advance, even though he knew that we would, you know, create chaos and mess things up, that he still chose us, and it gives him great pleasure to bring us into his family. I love this. It, it reminds us of um, how, how God's love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Like God's love compelled him to enter this world in order to rescue us or adopt us into his family. Now stay with me. Don't, don't, don't drift away. This one's really important. That same love that compelled God to, to be with us is the same love that should compel us to meet the needs in the world around us. Like, it's love and compassion that compels us or requires of us in, in some ways to meet the needs of, of those around us. And sometimes that has to do with children who have been set aside. Sometimes it has to do with the poor, the outcast, the broken, the marginalized, those who um, no one else sees or thinks about. Like, love should compel us to do something. Now again, this is not about, this morning is not about guilt, and I'm trying to stay far away from that, because we could, we could play on emotions and guilt one another into doing some things, but the idea here is that God's love that has chosen us, that has pulled us into the family, is the love that should be planted in our hearts that doesn't uh, guilt us into doing anything, but rather it begins to move us to do certain things out of that same kind of compassion. And so do we feel that compassion for those who have been set aside? Um, what often happens when we begin to enter into the world of uh, those who have been set aside, the broken, the poor, into a great need in our world around us, what often happens is we find that when we were the ones who thought we were coming to help, when we were the ones who thought we were coming to rescue, we ourselves are rescued from our pursuit of happiness, from our pursuit of the things that we think we want. And I see some of you nodding your heads because you've seen it before. You've, you've, you've felt that before, that you thought, I can go fix this, yeah, yeah, that person needs to be rescued. I'm going to enter in, and I'm going to rescue that person. And what you find is when you enter in to, to the way God does things, you enter in and you find, oh, I'm, I was the one who needed rescue. I got more out of this relationship than they probably got from me. And I think uh, the couple in this story, the, the true story, 
that they found that to be true. They began to open their homes and their hearts to some kids, and they found that they were the ones who were missing something. Does that make sense? And that's how it works. We just begin to understand, oh, I was missing something here. So last scene, and then I'm going to push us in a couple directions. Last scene from the movie when things are solidified with the family, and um, there's some pain in this scene. Uh, the, the kids begin to realize that their mom just does not have the capacity to, to mother them, and there's pain for kids who feel abandoned, right? And so they feel that, and then you have God providing you know, a family to come around them and support them. So, last scene. Hi everyone, we're back with another scene from Instant Family. Again, we hope you get a chance to watch this movie. We can't show you these clips online due to copyright issues, uh, but we're here to describe what's going on in this scene. Uh, this is a pivotal scene yeah. and in the movie. Um, it's kind of a climactic scene, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, how does this scene start? Yeah, well, it opens up with um, the three kids, Lizzie, Lita, and Juan, coming out of Pete and Nellie's home, their bags are packed, and you see some social workers drive up because Lizzie is under the impression that um, she and her siblings are being reunified with their birth mother. And you quickly sense that that is not going yeah, to happen. Something's gonna ride. Yeah, yeah, social workers sadly tell her, you know, your mom didn't show, we went to check on her. Um, it's evident that she's using and that she just, the pressure to parent these kids was just too much for the birth mother. And of course, Lizzie is just heartbroken. Yeah. 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 You can tell that she has a lot of emotional investment in this working out mm -hmm. the way that she expects mm -hmm. and she's just yeah, yeah she's heartbroken and she runs away yeah and um, Pete and Ellie run after her and the social workers take the other kids and they run after her and she hides in kind of a neighbor's kind of uh, alleyway or yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they start talking to her through the slats mm -hmm. and the fencing mm -hmm. yeah and she you know, she just wants them to go away. She she feels like she needs space, but they want to encourage her, tell tell her how much they love her, and she's like, "You don't love me. You don't even know me. You're not my parents." Yeah. And they say, "What was the line you yeah. said?" Well, they say first they when she says, "You don't know me," they say, "We do know you," mm -hmm. and then she says, "You're not my parents." He says, "No, but we're here. Yes, and we love you." So important. And um, you can see in this moment that Pete and Ellie. Are kind of realizing this mm -hmm. in this moment too, but for them to share it with yeah. with Lizzie is a big moment. Yeah, and and they're really just trying to talk to her. She doesn't she doesn't want to hear it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so she says, "I just need space." Yeah. And so they give her space, yeah. like good parents do. Yeah, sometimes you just need to give your kids some space to have their emotions, yeah. and so they kind of walk and they sit in the curb and they wait yeah yeah they wait for her to come back after she's processed a little bit and what's interesting when lizzie comes back what she has processed um is that you know lita and juan the younger siblings they do need to stay with you but i'll just have the social workers find me with a new placement um, and it's it's so obvious that she just feels like she's a burden to them but 
um, Pete and Ellie quickly tell her no, yeah. no, that will not work. Yeah. Period. We're not going to negotiate. Yeah, this. in the yeah. story, that's not happening because this doesn't work without you. They need her as the trio. That dynamic of those siblings is not the same without her. Yeah, and the evidence for that, they give her the court statement mm -hmm. and ask her to read it. Mm -hmm. And in that court statement, they basically describe something's been missing in our lives, right. and what has filled that gap has been Lizzie, Lita, and Juan. Yeah. And they say, you're what's missing. Mm -hmm. You're what's been missing in our yeah. lives. And um, really touching so moment, sweet. such a beautiful scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, she begins to tear up. Yeah. And then Pete and Ellie begin to describe um, their hopes and dreams for their future as a family. Mm -hmm. So how does it end? So I also love that um, Pete tells Lizzie, he says, you know, being there for you is gonna look like us going to your soccer games, us being on you about your grades, um, being there for prom dresses and <laughs> high school graduations, college graduations, even walking her down the aisle. And it was so sweet to just see yeah. them describe what parenting will look like for them as a family and how they're gonna love her and support her. You can tell they have dreams for, yes. for them as a family. Yes, it's so beautiful. And they embrace, and then Lita walks up, the, little, the youngest one, and she says, can we go home now? And you just know she means home as Pete and Ellie and Lita, Juan, Lizzie, all of them together is home. It's family, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, really great scene. And again, we hope you get a chance to watch this movie. Uh, it's been great to share it with you. Let's check out what Matt has to say about this clip. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, obviously, I mean, what a great ending to the story. Not every story ends like that, does it? But what a great, a great ending. Um, and the statement of, we, we realized what was missing was you. They were pursuing all these things in their life, renovation of homes, which included money and freedom and all that, and what they were missing was someone to love. And I think that's what we find when we open our hearts to the needs that all, are, are all around us. Um, Scripture mentions this again and again and again, that God has given each of us a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And here's, um, don't fade off yet. Stay with me. I'm almost done. Don't fade off. You have a gift. You have certain abilities that God entrusted you with. Every single person in this room. And every gift I believe every gift that God gives us intersects with some of the world's greatest needs. There, there's, there's a place at which the greatest needs in our world need the gift that you have. And I don't know what that is. I wish I did. I wish we could sit down across from the table from each other. We could talk for a little bit and I'd say, oh, this is where you fit. Go there. Or you do this or you do that. Like we all have to figure it out like, like they did in the movie. They had to figure out where their place was and, and what was most needed. We all need that. Um, and, and as we talk about gifts and abilities, the question is, how do my gifts or my abilities intersect with those needs? Where do these things come together and what can I contribute 
Like, what can I contribute to make this world a better place? Now, um, as a church, we've chosen certain things to get involved with and in. There's uh, many different venues where you could start exploring your gifts and how they could, could fit in. Harvest Compassion Center is one that we've been working with. Midwest, Midwest Food Bank is one that we've been working with. The foster thing, the foster challenge in our state is one that we've just decided we're going to pour more and more resources and energy in, into because of the great need. And I want to give you just a quick glimpse of this so we would understand. So foster kids in Arizona, there are about 13,000 kids in the AZ foster system. It changes a lot. Um, of those kids, 70% are there because of neglect and about 30% some form of abuse. And there's, there's even breakdown on, on the form of abuse. But that's, that's why they are in the system. Um, 41% of these are between the age of one and five. That should break our hearts that we have young kids in the foster system that have nowhere to go. There's no homes that, that are available for them to be planted in. It's one of the reasons we chose group foster homes because those are the ones who are not in a family. They're the ones in th these group homes uh, just to, to have a, a safe place to live. A thousand, uh, over a thousand age out of the system each year. And the challenge with this is there's no, fur there's no real further support that the, that the the state or the country provide for those 18-year-olds when they, when they age out. And because of this, 20% um, of these become instantly homeless. So you start to think about the homeless population and the challenges our country has with homeless. Many of those are just coming out of the foster system. Not, I mean, not all of them, obviously, but many of them. Um, there's really only a 3% chance that these foster kids are gonna, if, if they age out of the system without support, are going to pursue and, and earn a college degree, further their education. So there's all kinds of challenges, as you can imagine. This is exactly why we've decided to enter in at a high level, um, enter into the foster question and challenges in our state. Here's the verse that, that drives us to this. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt us. So if you think about this verse as pure religion or faith drives us to be involved in the most, uh, th those who are, are the most vulnerable rather than letting the world corrupt us and chasing after other things. Does that make sense? So this verse, James 1.27, is, is how our M127 came about. M127, McDowell 127, is built off of one, James 127. It was going to help us remember James 127. Super creative, right? 127, M127. So here's what we do. Foster boxes, first Sunday of every month. Quarterly serve day. Uh, events with, with our, our foster homes. Uh, here's one of our biggest needs right now, the track summer foster camp. And the reason we have some needs here is because we have a waiting list of foster kids who want to go to camp but can't because we don't yet have enough volunteers. We, we actually have um, as, as many volunteers as we had last year. We just have like double the number of kids who want to go to camp this year because of the great experience of last year. And so uh, one of the ways that you can 
I'm gonna give you a lot of different ways you can jump in, but if, if the foster camp thing is something that you're interested in, um, right after the service, go see Ryan at Connect Central, big blue banner. Okay, go back to that slide. Um, so track summer foster camp, we have some, some current needs. Foster care community, wraparound services for foster families. So here's, here's the big goal for us as a church. Um, the big goal for these kids is to find a home, right? I mean, that's a, a loving, caring home. That's the big goal for the kids. So while we're going to stay involved with the group foster homes and do all of that, our goal is to get kids in homes, placements, where they can have a healthy environment, where they have a future. Um, part of that is having wraparound services for those foster families, so some of us would say, I, I don't think my home is the right place for a foster kid. That's not what God is calling me to, but I would be happy to be a part of some wraparound services so that if a foster family, parents need, for example, a night out, I would babysit, or I could provide food, or I could provide if a bed is needed, you know, those kind of things. Like, I could do some of that. So that's the wraparound services. Mentoring relationships with foster kids, really, really important. I mean, of utmost importance for foster kids to have a mentor who loves them and is invested in their future. And then um, actual fostering and potential parenting, adoption. Um, th those, those are the flow. Now, we also have some other little pieces, like uh, I mentioned a team that drives down and picks up foster kids and brings them to youth on Sunday nights, awesome, all of those things. There's a lot of ways you can get connected. But here's the deal. Not all of us are wired to do this. It takes all of us in the church. We have all these serve teams um, in our church from our McDowell kids down on the other end of the building, student life, uh, community life. There's all kinds of things with community life. There's greeters, those who help with coffee. I mean, how many of us need coffee in the morning? Like a lot of us, and so we need some people to help do that. Meal teams, um, prayer group leader. I mean, all, the, all these kind of things that we are trying to serve one another well, using our gifts to serve one another well. Uh, in the worship and creative arts, there's different pieces, local good teams, global good teams, serving in other parts of the world. We have all kinds of ways, but here's the big picture. Do not miss this. You have a gift. You are a part of God's kingdom. And if we are not using our gifts to further his kingdom, then we are not a healthy body. Does that make sense? Each of us are a part of the body. So how will you use the gifts that you have? Um, as we are putting to, today, today together and all of it, and some of you are like, are we singing a song? We're not singing another song. Like that's, I was... This is it. You have a gift. We want you to use it. If you're interested in finding out more about how to use it here in McDowell or through McDowell, go directly to uh, Connect Central. After the service, you can just put your name down, what you're interested in, and somebody will contact you in the next two weeks and just have a conversation about ways that you can get involved. If it's the fostering piece that tugs at your heart, talk to Ryan. All right? So will you stand with me? Listen, not about guilt, manipulation, none of that. You don't feel that today, do you? I hope you don't feel that. That's not what this is about. This is simply about saying God has given you a gift. He's given me a gift, and we're to use it to do good in this world. 
He needs us. He wants us to be involved as a part of his family. Um, I love this church. I love you, McDowell. I love the ways that you respond and jump in. And uh, I am so excited to see how God uses us and this body to meet needs all around the valley and around the world. Um, I pray that God would go with you. His spirit would lead you and guide you. And I pray that God's spirit would convict you. Ooh, that's a tough one. Oh, look, the darkness came. <laughs> I, I, my prayer is that God's spirit would convict you where you need to be convicted and that you would respond out of love. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.